Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. My name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here. I'm the teaching pastor, if we haven't met, and I, I see faces I have uh, never met. So love to meet you at some point. Um, if you've been around us, uh, with us for any length of time, you know that what we typically do is study books of the Bible. So we, um, we prize God's Word. We, we see that as a, um, the primary way that we get to know God. And so we, we um, dive into the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible, and the New Testament, the last half of the Bible. And we look to see who God is in the pages of Scripture. And from time to time, we take a little bit of time in, in seasons to spend uh, uh, some time looking at specific topics. So that's something we do um, here and there. We see that as an important piece of our time as well. And so over the last several weeks, we've um, kind of put, put our heads down and looked at the topic of prayer. And uh, beginning last week, or, or two weeks ago actually, we, we looked at the way that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, and we just saw um, some of the ways that he points us to praying. And, and these are the things we walked through last week, that as we approach God in prayer, we're acknowledging, uh, acknowledging him to be a holy God, we're acknowledging him to be a sovereign God, we're acknowledging him to be a God of provision, a God of forgiveness, and also a God of help in repentance. So we see that in, in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. That's the model prayer that he gave us to pray. Not that prayer, hey, pray this, but pray in these ways. And so we, we saw those um, that model last week. And our hope is, as a church, is to move into this new year, which we're already three weeks into, um, in, into this new year with a commitment uh, to labor in prayer together as a, as a family. That's something we really want to do. We want to be marked as a church, a, a people committed to prayer. That's something that we have a desire to, to do. And so beginning next week, this is all sort of ramping up to, to next week where we're going to start walking through the gospel account of John together. We're going to spend several weeks, more than a year, walking along John's account of the life of Jesus. Just seeing Jesus and how he lived, and we'll see more of this um, next week. But throughout the, the book of John, Jesus calls his people, in fact, not just his people, he calls people to believe He's calling them to belief over and over and over again. It's because of that that we want to spend some time this morning, as we end out this series in prayer, we want to spend some time this morning thinking about prayer as it relates specifically to belief, to, to what, um, what it means to believe, and, and as it relates to God calling people to himself to salvation. And so we want to spend a little bit of time looking at prayer in, in regards to that. Again, a dream that we put in front of us um, this past September is that, that God would grow us by those who are being saved. In fact, specifically, this is the, the dream we put in front of us, one of six that we put in front of us. We desire, desire to be um, uh, marked by conversion growth. This is a dream of ours. And not just a dream like, oh, I had this dream that I could fly. Not like that. But no, we believe that God is the, the only God of salvation. And so we're pleading with him that he would save. God, would you answer this prayer? That, that's our dream. That's our hope. That God would move in that way to save it. 
because that's the God he is. He's the God of salvation. And it's because we believe that that we have a desire to tell others about our hope in Christ. That is evangelism, right? Evangelism is a big churchy word. Simply put, it just means you and me, you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus, speaking about the hope that you have in Christ and what that means to you and how that, how that plays itself out. And so this morning, I want to connect some of the things we've been learning over the last couple weeks about prayer connects that with evangelism or our role in communicating the truths and, and the hope we have in Christ. So I want this to be practical. This is going to be um, a little bit different it, um, than, than some of the things we've worked through over, the, over the, the last weeks. It's going to be practical. We're going to end out on some really practical things together to have hopefully some points of accountability for us. So we don't just want to say, yep, that's theoretical and that's nice, but we want to say, yep, that's there. And also we're moving in this direction and we have some accountability entering into a season where, where we believe God has a desire to save and, and that we're a part of that. And so we, we want to see that. And so I want to give a, dis, a quick disclaimer as we move forward that there are probably at least um, three categories of people in the room this morning. Okay. Um, Jeff mentioned a couple. I'll add one to Jeff's um, categories that, that he gave. Probably three categories of people in the room. And, and we're glad for this, by the way. We're, we're glad that we have these categories. One, um, there are those in this room who uh, currently would say, yeah, I have a relationship with God. That's me. I have a relationship with God. I would call myself a, a Christian. I have a, a, a relationship in some sense with God, that's been affirmed by others and um, over the months and years, and, and the Spirit's alive and at work in me. So that's a category, I think, I think of, of people who are in the room. Uh, another category of people here in the room this morning are those who have, um, who have assumed for years that they're Christians, right? That they would call themselves Christians, and they've assumed that, um, maybe because they're Americans, right? They would call themselves that, but, but um, th- there's not really a, a, a good understanding of why they would say that, why you would say that. So maybe that's you this morning. You've just thought, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I don't know why, right? What's that, what's that mean? So I want to just acknowledge that that's, that's possible. There, there are people in the room like that. And then the third category this morning are, are those who have never believed that they need Jesus, need any, anyone other than themselves. And so I think there are probably those three categories in the room. I just want to acknowledge that. And that's great. We're, we're glad for that. We're glad that that's a piece of who we are together. And, and I want us to hear this. I think we can all learn and grow this morning. I think all of us together can be growing. And so much of what I'll say today um, is probably geared toward those who would call themselves Christians. Probably geared in that direction. It may even to, to some of us, may feel like an in-house conversation, like I've been invited into something I shouldn't have been a part of. No, we're saying, no, we're glad you're here. We want to keep um, working through this. In fact, here's what we also believe. We believe that God is sovereignly orchestrating all things, and it's no mistake that you are here today, right? That, that's what we believe. We believe that you are here for a reason. Even you being here today is a part of God's plan in some ways. We, we may not know why, but, but the, we believe that's um, the case. And so we can learn together. Here's what I want to do. I want to work this morning backwards through a passage, passage of scripture that talks about evangelism. So if you have a Bible near you, I want you to go ahead and grab a Bible and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. 
Romans is in the New Testament, which is the back half of your Bible, um, just after the four gospel accounts. And then Acts, you've got Romans. It's a longer book, 16 chapters. So go ahead and, and make your way there. If you don't have a Bible or don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift. Um, we just got a new shipment in of Bible. So you can take the one that's there in the pew near you, or we've got out on the shelves out there. There's stacks of Bibles that you can take that can be your own. Romans chapter 10 is what we're going to look at um, this morning in brief. And I told you we're going to work backwards through the text. This may be a little bit strange for you, but I'll hopefully show you along the way. Um, it's going to be like the movie Memento. Did anybody ever see that? Where you sort of work backwards to see the story unfolding and you still have no idea what was happening, right? So that's what we're going to do. Hopefully I'll, I'll explain a little bit about that. If you're able this morning... I'm going to invite you to join in standing as, as we read from God's Word. Romans chapter 10, I'm going to read all the way, uh, starting in verse 1 through uh, verse 15. And you can just uh, listen as we go. This is from Paul, and he says, Brothers, or brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. When we think about evangelism, again, big churchy word that simply means you speaking about your ho- the hope you have in Christ. When we think about evangelism, uh, um, we, we see that there is a, a method. I, I think that's what we see first, that there's a method, right? And, and we'll, we'll work through this. An ordered method to how God has ordained the good news of Jesus to be shared. There's a method, right? Let, let's work backward through this text. Paul, the author of Romans, quotes in verse 15, he quotes Isaiah, and he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the, the good news. The good news is the gospel of Jesus, and it's beautiful in the sight of God for those feet to be making their way toward those who do not yet know this good news. It's beautiful in the sight of God for that to be happening. And just before that, Paul says, how are they to preach? How are they to speak that good news unless they are, what? Sent. Sent. 
right? So, so there's a method here. So first, how are they to preach that unless they are sent? God in his perfect ways has, has established a method of spreading the good news through people. Through you and I. I'll never understand why he's done that, but he has. He, he's, he's using us. Listen, not just a priest, not just a pastor, not just someone in full-time paid ministry, but, but all of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, everyone who's already believed the good news of Jesus has been, uh, has, has been called to be one who is sent. Now, many of you are probably familiar with some of the last words of Jesus before he ascended into the heavens, his parting words before he loved the scene where he shoots up in the air and the disciples are thinking, what do we do now, right? Um, he, and so here's what he says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, there's the go, right? There's the sent part. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That, that last part is beautiful, that he's with us. Right? This command was to his disciples, his closest followers, go, make disciples, teach them about me. And the idea here is an ongoing proclamation of the truth of Jesus. And before we think, well, yeah, but that's just the, the 11, right? That's just those, those followers of Jesus. He's just commanding uh, his, his people. But before you think that, right, the, the, the next book after the, the gospel accounts, Acts, is 28 chapters of the good news of Jesus being proclaimed by anyone who knew Jesus. And what we saw is thousands of people coming to know Jesus, right? We, we see that ongoing. The church flourished in, in, that, in that response. So let, let's just get real practical. I think, I think it's got to be said that while the gospel can be proclaimed here on a Sunday morning, and hopefully it is, uh, while it can be proclaimed to the masses um, in, in, in big kinds of ways, there's no way that I can know every individual and how the truth of the gospel can be applied to their lives individually. Does that make sense? Well, well I can speak this. There, there's no way that I know everyone in this room and what they're, they're wrestling through. And so, yes, the public preaching, the proclamation of the gospel will be present at, at, at the public gathering as long as there's a, a public gathering and, and the church exists. But more effective than that are, are the personal relationships that you have and I have with the, the people who are regularly in our lives. Right? We know them. We have relationship with them. We know their struggles and we know their joys. You do. I do. We, we, we know those individually. So practically speaking, if you are a follower of Jesus, listen, you individually have been sent and you'll do a better job than I ever will to communicate the truth to, to that person that, that you've been sent to. Does that make sense? You are there for a very specific reason. You've been sent into your family. Uh, parents, think about that. You have been sent into your family for your children. You've been sent into your family, right? M maybe that's a spouse that you've been sent to. Maybe um, the neighborhood that you've been uh, is sent to, you've been sent to your job, your circle of friends, your hobbies. If we believe that God is sovereign over all these things, you have been sent into that space uh, uh, in, in, for a very specific reason. We'll, we'll get to that here in just a second. There's a method. You and I have been sent, right? Backing up again, Romans 10, 14. You and I have been sent to do something. Paul says, what? We've been sent to, we've been sent to preach. Now, don't hear preach as like, well, I'm not a preacher, so I don't have to do that. No, we, we, the word here is you've been sent to proclaim. You've been sent to speak, uh, 
You've been sent as the one sent into your specific context, and your role there is to proclaim. Proclaiming the hope we have in Christ. There's a, a verbal aspect of this. There's a verbal communication of the hope that we have in Christ that's necessary in this method. Right? What God could have done is he could have said, you know what, people will just come to know about me. They'll go for a hike in the mountains and they'll see something and it'll trigger in their minds this and then, yep, poof. I, no, the, God has outlined a way, a method in which there's a proclamation of that. Backing up yet again into verse 14, the only way others will hear the truth, the only way that others will hear the truth of the gospel is if it's being spoken and it's communicated best through the personal investment in relationship. There's a a hearing element. So it's not just speaking, but there's also a receiving, a hearing element. And then backing up even further in verse 14, the way that God has ordained this method to work is that in the hearing of the truth that has been proclaimed by the one who has been sent, there's fruit there. And what is the fruit? It's belief. Right? That they would believe, right? Paul says, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? It's a rhetorical question begging the answer, they won't, right? They, they won't. They won't believe if they've never heard from a person who was sent. That proclamation has to be there from someone who has been sent, right? So Paul lays out this method by which the message of the gospel is to go forth from everyone who is a follower of Jesus, each of us is sent to proclaim to uh, to a people a message that that they would then hear and in their hearing belief would would hopefully prayerfully be the fruit now we could go into all kinds of ways that we would win the opportunity to speak um, to a people right we could read all kinds of books and go through all sorts of strategies and been and have been trained in all kinds of ways to to do that right and those, those strategies have been proposed, and, and maybe many of you have walked through those strategies and learned them, and now you've been brainwashed into Not brainwashed, that's negative. But you've been um, trained into doing it a specific way. Let me just wreck all that for you and, and say it this way. I, I think maybe we've overthought things, and, and we've put strategies in place where, where we would just simplify it and say the most effective I'll, I'll say this and you can challenge me on it we can have coffee later and you can challenge me on this the most effective form of evangelism will almost always be based on some kind of ongoing relationship almost always now certainly there's a, a massive proclamation and some would come to know and, and so i get that but almost always for, for us it's going to be a personal investment in relationship that wins the opportunity to proclaim about the hope we have in christ and, and that then results prayerfully in in belief. Uh, there's a short story. Um, I, I've got it here. Um, written by Joseph Bailey. It's called The Gospel Blimp. Has anybody read this? Okay, no one. So I can tell you anything right now what it's about, and you'll just believe me. Um, it's about these aliens that come, and it's not. Um, it, it's called The Gospel Blimp. It's written back in the 1960s, kind of in this, this era where strategy was the thing. We're going to go get it, and we're going to go door to door, and we're going to do this, right? So um, Joseph Bailey writes this sort of parable called The Gospel Blimp in 1960, um, and, and the story goes something like this, that there's a group of people who are trying to reach those around them with the truth of the gospel, and they, um, together, they, they regularly meet and they strategize about how to do it. Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to reach people with the truth of the gospel? How are we going to do that? So they get together in the backyard of, of one of their friends to have these meetings. 
And as they have these meetings, they, they um, in the process, neglect to interact with the neighbors who are right around them. In fact, one of the neighbors waves over the fence, and, and one of the people in the group strategizing uh, leans over and says, that's the one we're trying to reach. He smokes, right? That's the biggest concern, that he, that he smokes. So they, they have these conversations. They strategize um, to come up with this idea. Here's the idea. That they would raise enough money to purchase a blimp and hire a staff to run the blimp. And then from the blimp, they're going to drop gospel flyers into the yards of their neighbors. Right Now, do you see where this is going? You see the sort of zinger at the end. That's foolish. Right? And, and, and the point is this, that there are a variety of ways that we could get to the idea of like, how do we reach a, a people? But, but I would say that those people are your neighbors. And they're right there. And no matter how slick your strategy is, your relationship with them may be, will be, probably will be, your greatest in. And and so invest, right? You've been sent to that people to proclaim the hope that you have in Christ so that they would hear and and the hope would be that they would believe. Paul lays out a method and the most natural starting point with that method is to look around and see who you've already been sent to. Who is in your, your, your space, your family, your, your neighbors, your coworkers? There's a method, and that method is to be adapted to the relationships you, you already have. Uh, from method, we work backwards still. Is everybody still hanging with us? You, you work backwards still, and you see in this passage that method involves or includes a message. And so Paul lays out this message. There's this message the sent ones are to proclaim to the person who would hear and and then believe. Starting in verse 13, we'll just work our way back. Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then working backwards still, verse 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And I think we, we just need to start there simply and say everyone, everyone. All or everyone is used four times in those three verses. I think we'd start there. It's a key word, everyone, anyone. This isn't just for those you think may one day come to know Jesus. This is for anyone who would believe, right? We don't know who God is going to save. I'll tell you this now. You don't know who God is going to save. You don't. But we know that salvation is open. While we may not know all the specifics about how this is open, it's open to anyone who would believe. Anyone. Believe what? The message that's to be proclaimed. So backing up still, verse 10, it's with the heart we believe. Saving faith is not just a knowledge of the right facts. It's not just a knowledge. It's a deep, central inward trust that Christ is who he says he is. So yeah, there's knowledge there, but it's a deep trust that he is who he says he is. We'll get to this. Lord and Savior is what he says, but we'll, we'll show you this here in a second. It's with the mouth we confess, Paul says, right? That deep inward faith. The, the, it's with the mouth we confess, and that confession itself, listen, that confession itself is not an action that grants salvation, right? So the words that you uh, formulaically say are not the thing that's going to save you, but the confession is saying, yeah, I believe that. Believe what? Back up yet again, verse 9, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, there's the confession part, that what? Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, 
we cannot see this as an intellectual understanding. Yes, I believe that there was a date in the past where Jesus physically rose from the dead, and this is how we know that, the way they found the cloth and all. We know it, right? That's not what he's saying. That's not what Paul's saying. Rather, he's saying salvation comes to the one who believes that much of the work of Christ's saving work comes to a pinnacle at the resurrection. Does that make sense? So he's not just saying, yeah, look at the resurrection. No, he's saying all of it comes to a pinnacle at the resurrection. It, it, all, it all comes there. To believe that he was raised from the dead, the dead, means that you believe he died, right? And, and to believe that he died means that you believe why he died, that, that he w- would die to pay the penalty of sin, sins that you and I are unable to cover. So Paul is saying belief that Jesus is who he says he is, he's Savior, paying the penalty for sin, conquering sin and death in his resurrection, believing that you are not the Savior, but he is. It's not just belief, but it's also confessing with your mouth that he is Lord, that, that he's Lord, that there is no other master of your life. There's no other Lord of your life. There's no other master that you are not the master, that you are not the final authority in your life. Salvation comes from belief that Jesus is who he says he is and confession that he is who he says he is, that he's Jesus, that he's Savior. Jesus is Savior and Lord. Does that make sense? And so from that message, we see this. That can be applied to anyone, can't it? That, that message can be applied to my own heart right now. That, that I have one who is Savior and also Lord. The, the gospel message is able to be applied to everyone. And if accepted, Paul says, you, it, it's emphatic, you will be saved. Everyone, all, anyone who believes in, in that way. If you, and if you keep backing up through the text, all the way back to verse 4, you get more to the heart of the message. Paul says that it, it's Christ who is the end-all, be-all for everyone who believes what's he mean keep backing up it doesn't matter if you have zeal for god we're all the way back in the end of verse two now it doesn't matter if you have zeal for god it doesn't matter how sincere you are if you do not see god's righteousness and submission to it as the standard then it doesn't really matter and listen we'll never meet that standard of perfect submission we'll never meet that it will never meet that perfect uh, that that standard to perfect submission to God's righteousness, which is exactly why we need Christ to be perfectly righteous on our behalf. That's the gospel, right? To put in in our terms, maybe terms that you and I would would resonate with. It doesn't matter how religious you think you are. And, and let me just insert some words that that have become sort of um, hot hot words for us. It doesn't matter how loving or accepting you are or you think you are it doesn't matter how kind you are let me just level this you are never able to meet the standard of perfection christ is the end of that fight he's the end of that right he is perfect and because of him the standard has been met and we're then invited into relationship with god through belief that jesus is savior and confession that he is Lord, that's the message to be communicated. And listen, friends, our hope as we walk through the book of John over the next several months is that we will have an opportunity, in fact, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to see clearly that Jesus is who he says he is and he's calling us to believe. You, me, he's calling us to believe. He's calling those who do not yet believe to believe. He's calling us to believe. Now, 
That was the long introduction. That was the setup. And here's the punchline. Here's, here's where all of this is moving. There can be a method for evangelism and there can be a central message in our evangelism, but that method and that message will fall flat, will absolutely fall flat if there's not a motivation. If there's not a deep motivation for, for what you're doing and, and why. Look at, look at how Paul begins the discussion about evangelism. This is where we're going to center in. Chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Can I just ask this question? And again, no, no guilt here. This isn't me trying to play the Holy Spirit. Is it your heart's desire that those in your life who do not yet know Jesus would come to know Jesus? Is that your heart's desire? So Paul says, it's my heart's desire that they would be saved. It's my heart's longing. Now what does that even mean? You, you may think, well, that's, I think so. That's where I am. I think so. What, what does it, how's that even measured? I don't know how it's measured for each of us individually, but, but for Paul, here's how it's measured. Just before chapter 10 in chapter 9, um, Paul says this, and I want you to see this. I've got it here on the screen. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying which if you have to start an argument that way, maybe listen up, right? Um, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So he's ramping this up, right? Here, here's what he says, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do you see what... Paul is saying. He's saying, if I could, I would give up the gift of salvation applied to my own life for the sake of others knowing Christ and being saved. Do you see that? So when Paul says in Romans 10:1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire is that they would be saved, that's what he means. His heart's desire is that he desperately desires for others to know Christ. This wrecked me this week. I read that and I thought, I, I, I walked out of my office and started talking to Josh about it. I said, Josh, what do you think about this? And I texted Kirsten. I said, how, how do we even think it through this? And I texted Jeff, who I know is, is thinking through these things. And I, how do we even think about this? That we would say, like Paul, I'd be willing to give this up if others would come to know Jesus. Is it? great sorrow and ongoing anguish. And again, I don't want to play the Holy Spirit, but let me just ask some questions that I need to ask of my own heart. Has there ever been a moment in my own life where I have had great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for those who don't know Jesus? I don't know. Maybe ramp it up even more. So much sorrow, so much anguish that I would give up what God has done for me in Christ if it would save them. I don't know that I would be able to say that. My, my heart's desire is that they would be saved. 
Now this is where it all comes into laser focus for us in the, in the series that we've been walking through in prayer. Who in your life right now, I want you to think about this, who in your life right now are you grieving over their rebellion to Christ? Is there, is there anyone in your life right now that, that you would say, yes, my heart's desire is for them to be saved? Who are you grieving over that they, they're rebelling against Christ, pushing against Christ? Who is that in your own life? I want that name, as the Spirit brings that name to mind, or names, I want that to be seared into your heart and mind. Maybe it's your, your own children, parents. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your mom or dad. Maybe, maybe that's who it is. It's your mom or dad. Or maybe it's a sibling. Or maybe it's a best friend. I don't know who that is for you. Who in your life right now does not yet know Jesus? Can I put, just put this out there? Maybe it's an enemy of yours. Would you say that your heart's desire for them is that they would be saved? If not, I think here's the zinger of the question. If not, why would you not say that? Why? Right? That may be, be where you need to spend some careful soul searching. Who in your life right now does not yet know Jesus? And, and if you don't have a heart's desire to see them know Jesus, why? Why? If no one comes to mind, would you consider asking, pleading with the Holy Spirit that he brings someone to mind? Would you just consider that over, over the next several days as we move in that direction? Here's why. Look at... Look at what Paul says again in Romans 10.1. I want you to see it. So look at your Bibles if they're still open. Romans 10.1, allow this to sink in. Maybe this is the theme of what we're thinking through. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and what? Prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So it's not just a heart's desire. Yep, I long for that. But it's also a prayer that they may be saved. Slam that all together. Paul says, flowing from your heart motivation that these peop- is that the, these people would know Christ. What was the outcome? Then, then prayer, right? Pray that they would be saved. That's where it's got to go, isn't it? That's where it's absolutely got to go. Prayer. If we're in anguish and sorrow over our friends who do not yet know Christ, the outcome there in our own lives is, is pray. Acknowledging that God is the God, the only God of salvation. I have several books on, on evangelism that I, I reread and re-skimmed through several of them this uh, this past week, over the last weeks. And in those books, as I'm reading, um, at least the ones that are worth reading, and there are some that are not, um, uh, do you know where all of those books start in uh, evangelism? In the instruction in, in, in evangelism, here's where they start, prayer. It's where it's got to start. In fact, one of the books that, I, that I've really come to appreciate, the author lists 12 different steps toward evangelism, just lays it all out. But the very first one is prayer. If you're not starting there, I'm not sure why you would move on to the others. Prayer. Prayer for what? I think as we consider prayer in relation to evangelism, we pray um, uh, for some of these things. Pray that God would change our desires. Right? Our heart's desire that it, that it would be that they would be saved. Maybe you're in a place where you think, I don't even have that desire. I don't even know. Not, not that I don't, but I've never even thought about it that way. So, so maybe you start there. Prayer that God would change heart's desires. Maybe it's um, prayer that God would give you opportunities. I think we all need to be praying that. That God would give us opportunities. Maybe it's prayer that God would give us courage. That's probably an area where we can all grow. 
And, and not just courage, but that, that we wouldn't, and this is related, but that we wouldn't find our identity in what they think of us after we speak the good name of Jesus. Maybe, I think that's where, where it hits me. Like, I don't know what they're going to think of me now. Prayer that God would give us words then to say in, in our courage. God, give me words. I have no idea where this is even going to go, so give me words here. And then I think it all lands here finally, prayer that God would save. <laughs> prayer that he would save. Would you join me in those prayers? Would you join me in just listing out that? Would you, um, God, pr- change my heart that my desire would be there? Would you give me opportunities? Would you give me courage? Would you give me words to speak? Would you uh, give me um, uh, what it takes to move in that direction so that you alone would save? That, that's got to, to begin there, right, with prayer. Do we believe that God would answer that prayer, can answer that prayer? Let me, let me ask that in a question that I want to hear an answer to. Do we believe that God can answer that prayer? Yeah? I, I think so. I, I've told this story before. I'll, t- I'll tell it again. Um, it hits me when I think about prayer and, and evangelism. When I was a, a pastor in North Dakota, um, it's a state in our country, um, uh, I, there, there was a sweet older couple in our church, Barry and Marlis were their, were their names. They were the sort of sweet older couple who still held hands and smiled at one another as if they'd been married for days. You know that couple? The couple I, I, I long to be. Um, they were the older couple that, that were just that way. They'd been married for something like 40 or 50 years. Um, when Marlis was younger, she became a devoted follower of Jesus just after they got married. Uh, and Barry did not. And Marlis um, began speaking the truth of the gospel to her husband, and she began daily praying for him. And the way that she tells the story is for 30-plus years, she prayed daily that God would save Barry, that God would uh, reveal to Barry his need for a Savior. For 30-plus years, hear, hear, hear this part, please, too. For 30 plus years, she continued on as his wife, serving him, loving him, cherishing their marriage together, but then laboring in prayer that God would work. And by God's grace alone, God opened Barry's eyes to his need for a savior and saved him. And listen, not once did I ever hear Marlis take credit for that. It's because I prayed. Not, not once, because she couldn't. It was God. It was God who was work in, in Barry's heart to draw him to himself, and, and she labored in prayer. Paul walks through, I think, a method that, that we can use. He walks through a message, and, and he walks through a motivation, a deep heart motivation, and inserted and woven through that is prayer. Laboring in prayer. My heart's desire... And my prayer to God for them is that they would be saved. So here's where I want to get practical for us. And give us some means of of accountability as we consider this together as as a church family. Over the next several months, we're going to be walking through the life of Jesus in the book of John. The main thrust throughout the book is belief. Belief believing that Jesus is who he says he is. 
That's where we're going to spend month after month. And so our desire as a church is to, that, that, that we would be marked by conversion growth. It's one of our, our desires. And a significant uh, part of our role there is what? Is to pray. We're going to be praying along this as we move through this. And so can I encourage you in, in a few ways? And if, you want, if you're a note taker, great. If this is helpful for you um, to, to move forward, great. Um, here, here's where I would encourage us. First, pray regularly for at least one person locally. Maybe that's daily for you. Maybe that's every Monday or whatever that works out in your mind. Pray, begin now even praying regularly for at least one person who's in your life who does not yet, from, from everything you can understand, does not yet know Jesus. And then secondly, added to that, would you, would you consider, and this is where courage comes in, would you consider inviting them to join you in this journey of walking through the book of John? Now, if, if they are local, which is what I would encourage, if they're local, invite them to join you on a Sunday. Consider what that could look like. Invite them to join you maybe throughout the week at your township. Let them know in the very beginning that, that we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus. Don't hide that from them. Don't be like, hey, you want to grab brunch? Ah, just joking. It's at the church, right? Don't do that. Straight out. Just say, yep, we're going to be talking about Jesus. I don't know if you have an interest in seeing the life of Jesus and how that works out. I'd love to have you join me and, and as we consider this together. Now, I'll, I'll tell you why. I'm not, I'm not trying to say, hey, let's grow our church and we'll be the big new church. That's not at all what I'm saying. The, the hope there is, is that if you're learning these things together, you've got some common vocabulary along the way, okay? So, uh, again, not looking to fill our pews. That's not at all what I'm saying. But if you've got some common vocabulary, that could be helpful. Um, and then third, if they aren't local, which maybe you've got someone on your mind that, that's not local, encourage them to listen to the sermon online. Again, not, not, not hyping my preaching or Eric's or whoever's preaching. I'm not, that's not what I'm doing. But again, it gives you common vocabulary that you're then able to say, hey, here's what we're, did you hear that? That was helpful. That was good. That Jesus does it. And so you've got some common language, even in a long distance conversation with them. So those are some, some encouragements there. Our prayer is that God would grow us by those who don't yet follow Jesus. What if we all began praying that at the same time and we're, we're all praying for our own hearts that they would grow and, and desire that our heart's desire would be that, that they would be saved? What if, what if we all joined in in praying in that direction for courage and for opportunities? We've been talking about this as a staff and something we want to do as we consider this um, together is, is this. Now, this may strike you a little bit strange here, so let, let me say this. We want to remove every potential hurdle that we know to remove that, that may be in the way of someone learning about Jesus and what it means to have faith in him. So we're having that conversation as a staff. What does it look like for us to remove hurdles for people to see more and more of Jesus? We've thought about our Sunday morning gatherings, what we do, what we don't do currently, that, that may be a potential hurdle to someone entering into this conversation. What are we putting up that's in the way? And so I want to share with you some of the things that we're thinking through. We haven't landed here on, on many of these, but some of the things we're thinking through. And, and let me, um, again, give a disclaimer. Um, if you're thinking, if you're in your mind right now, and I know some of you are, and I could tell you who you are right now. Um, if you're thinking, great, there goes our church, right? We're going to be one of those churches now. 
Um, I want you to shove that off. And, and I'll say, I'll, I'll just remind you again, the reason we gather here together on Sunday morning is to worship Jesus. We're never going to hide that. We're not going to water that down. We're not going to shove that aside. We're not going to say, hey, we don't need the Bible. We're, we're going to be all in for that. We're going to be confessing our need for him. We're going to be pointing to him. We're going to be learning about him in God's words. We have a, a, no desire, no plan to get rid of that or water it down. We're still going to be doing those things. But we also... Um, know that if we're encouraging you and, and encouraging us together to, to be inviting people into this conversation about who Jesus is and what it looks like to have faith in him, there are going to be some who have no clue what this looks like and, and no clue what it means to be walking through this. And so we want to be as clear as possible. Timothy Keller, he's an author, pastor in, in New York. He says that the Sunday gathering ought to be seeker sensible. That when someone comes in, they're not like, that was weird. I don't know what was happening there. That they, that they at least know some of the things that are going on. Those who are not church or don't have a relationship with Jesus aren't completely confused about what's happening. It just makes sense because they, they've, it's been explained. And so we started looking as a staff um, from front door all, all the way to, to back door to, to begin thinking, how do we remove potential hurdles that may be in the, the way of us together learning about who Jesus is? So here's where we get really practical. You ready for this? First, I'm going to keep my eyes down so I don't look uh, at, directly at people. Um, parking. Now, I know that may sound strange, but if you are in a, a new place, coming to a new place, and you had to circle the block multiple times to find parking, you may just drive on. And, and so um, consider parking over by the library. <gasps> right? Consider parking where you might have to use these at the end of your legs, right? Consider that. Um, don't rush in and be like, ah, my prayers were answered, front door, right? That, that's... Um, now, again, please don't feel the judgment as you walk out of here this afternoon or this morning and you get in your car, like, don't just like get in quick. I gotta get out of here. It's not what I'm asking. Don't feel the judgment. This may not be something that the Spirit lays on your heart to you. I'm just saying it's a consideration. If there are those who are coming, especially first, first service people, right? If there are those who are coming, we have to circle the block multiple times. That, that may be a hurdle. Like, I'm just going to go grab coffee instead. Consider it, okay? Um, second, um, from the parking spot to the front door. Are we warm? Now, I don't mean temperature-wise, because we're not, right? Clearly, this, this building is like a screen door. Um, but... <laughs> Are we warm? Uh, when, when people enter in, are, are we warm? We, we, want, we, we desperately want to have additional um, attentive, attentive, hear that, um, and welcoming greeters to orient new people as they come in. And we've gotten some critique there, and we want to take that critique, and we want to, we want to move in a good direction. We want to have additional greeters, and, and to do that, we may need more people who would volunteer. Josh oversees that. He does actually have a job, by the way. Um, uh, he oversees that, so please talk to Josh. If that's something, if you know how to smile, and, and you know how to say hello, or you know to say, hey, this is Children's, or hey, grab some coffee, or whatever that looks like, uh, talk to Josh about um, being a, a piece of that. Now, you would say, that's not me. I'm not ever going to be a greeter. Hey, you're not off the hook. If you're here, then I would invite you to begin looking for people who are new or alone. I have a, a friend who's a pastor in Denver, and he said this a couple weeks ago. It was kind of shocking to me. He says, someone standing alone is an emergency if we're a family. Consider that, right? It may mean 
that you have to stop the conversation with your best friend who you had dinner last night with and brunch this morning with to go talk to someone else. If they're alone, go, go, go. In, invite them into a conversation. Hey, say, come sit with me. It's cold in there. I need some warmth. Come and join me. Um, for just a second, introduce yourself. So that's second. Third, one way we can serve everyone in the church is to have adequate children's ministry um, volunteers. It, it is a way that we can ch- uh, serve everyone in the church. Um, often, and I would say this very often, we have to combine classes and ages or shut uh, uh, down other rooms completely because of lack of volunteers. We are short on space, that's for sure, but we, we have to shut it down for lack of volunteers. So if, um, if you have children, you've probably been turned away before in the past here, and it does not feel good. Now, put yourself in the, in the place of someone who's just come as a visitor, has no clue what's happening here. You've just come in, and your word is, sorry, we don't have space for your kid. Or, hey, we're, we're joining them in, so I know your infant's going to be with them, a 10-year-old. Yeah, it's going to be great. No, so just consider that. Um, could you be a volunteer? I would encourage you, Renee um, has a table out in the lobby this morning. So everybody right now is thinking of someone else who could be great at volunteering. <laughs> Let me just say to you, teenager, college student, right? 70-year-old person, um, would you consider volunteering in that way? Fourth, um, if you've been here long enough, you may know our liturgy. Uh, liturgy is a big uh, churchy word that just simply means the way we work out the worship of God here together, right? So the rhythm of this. Uh, others may not know our liturgy. They, they may not know the way we work through things every Sunday. And so something that we've thought together as a staff is that we would make um, that flow much more visible to us. Um, uh, to everyone. We, we want it to be clear in every possible way so that people can see how we're moving through the gathering and why we're moving through it in, in that way. So you may start noticing that we're um, explaining more of what we're doing and why. Um, can, can I just say, this is for you too. We need those reminders. Oh, that's right. Right? That's right. That's why we do that. You, you've probably noticed that there's not a Sunday where I say, hey, let's pray and we'll have some bread and wine up here right, and just walk off, that, that I walk through it every week, that we say, this is why, this is why, this is why. And, and so you may notice that we'll, um, we'll, we'll begin sort of explaining that in, in some new ways. We have no, um, by the way, everybody take a deep breath here. We have no intentions of removing the greeting time on Sunday morning. So if you're thinking, great, they're going to get rid of that. No, we're not. That's a part of our liturgy. I don't know if you know that. That's a part of our liturgy. That's us together saying we're in this together. We're a family. We're a, a body together. So here's your role in that. Look for someone who's standing alone, right? Look for the, everybody's talking and then there's this guy, right? Look for that guy and go talk to him. That's fourth. Fifth, um, we're going to start um, making efforts of being more aware up front about the kinds of words we're using. Now, I'm not saying we're going to shove aside any sort of biblical language. That's not what I'm saying. But we don't want to use churchy words that we think people know, right? That only our long-term church attenders would know. There, there may be times when we, we have to use those, those words because they're, they're, they're the words that we have, right? Like I said earlier, evangelism. It's a big churchy word that simply means taking talking to other people about the hope we have in, in Christ. And liturgy, it just means the way we work out our worship together. So we're going to keep using some of those words, but we're going to try to be careful about the words that we use. That's fifth. Sixth, Josh is working diligently to ensure that um, there is adequate space in our township for new people. 
You had several meetings this last week about trying to get new um, new leaders to try to grow, grow our groups. And I think there's two or three or four groups coming. Right, so here's what you're going to see. You may see, if you're in a township right now, you may see your township getting smaller. Hopefully, that's, that's the hope. Um, as we multiply into more groups, and ultimately, that's a good thing. It's hard. I'm not going to say that. It's, it's hard, but, but it's a good thing be, because then we've got space to invite people in. We need more leaders. We need more hosts. So if, you, if we're walking through the book of John together in our groups and we're saying, yeah, invite people, then what do we need? We need space, right? No one, not even me wants to come back to a group with 28 adults and 78 children, right? And I'm part of the problem, right? So no one wants to be a part of that. Smaller groups are more inviting. They're more intimate. Seventh, um, we're working to provide opportunities for people to ask questions about what they're learning. So we're working to, to, to move in that direction. One thought that we have, we're trying to figure out how this is all going to work, is that we're going to ha- try to have a question-answer dialogue back and forth after our second gathering so that people can ask questions right away that they have about what they just heard. And now we can only do that after the second gathering because after the first gathering, sometimes the preacher goes along, we don't have time. So we're putting together um, those sorts of things so that we can have those um, di- that ongoing dialogue together. We want that. We want to open up conversations. So you'll see more about that, hopefully um, even by next Week. We're also putting together another opportunity for a class for those who are investigating Christianity. What does that mean? So we're going to start a class um, here in, in the coming months for that. Okay, all that to say, um, all that to say this, um, we want this to be our theme. We don't want to just say, yep, I've got a desire that that would happen. We, we want to say, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire And my prayer to God is that they would be saved. Hopefully that happens, right? No, we want to say, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is that they would be saved. And we want to be at work trying to figure out ways that we can point all of the attention to Jesus. So would you join us in that? That, That's what we we want. Our heart's desire is for others to know Jesus. And that, that, that I think, is going to radically change our prayers. And it may change some of the things we do. Now, ultimately... Um, what's this all about? It's about the worship of an almighty God who's worthy to be worshipped. Does that make sense? It's, it's about the worship of an almighty God who's worthy to be worshipped and invited us into relationship with him. There's this passage, we'll get to it in several weeks, in, in John chapter 4, where Jesus... Um, says that, that God, he sits down with a woman who, he, who in, in cultural experiences should, he shouldn't have sat down with, but he sits down with a woman and he, he begins to have this conversation and he tells her, our Father is looking for those, is seeking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. What's, what's the key word there? Worship. Our Father is seeking those who would worship him. And he's provided a way for that to happen through his Son. So this is, this is not a church growth strategy. Don't hear that. Please don't hear that. This is us saying, God, the God worthy to be worshipped, and, and wouldn't we want to be a part of that? And so that, that's been our prayer. That's only possible because of what Jesus has done. And so we'll, we'll end this morning in that way. Hopefully that's um, been helpful for us as we look forward. Um, we'll end that way this morning, worshiping God because of what Christ has done.
Let me pray, and we'll give you a, a, some space to, to be right where you are. Let's pray. God, as we consider um, these things, the things that you have placed on our hearts as elders and as a staff, um, ways that we believe you're leading us and moving us, God, I pray that it wouldn't just be us as a small little tight group of, of leaders, but it would be us as a church family, that we would have a desire, uh, that, that our hearts desire and our prayer to you would be that, that many would come to know you. That we would all continue to know you. That we would grow in our knowledge of you. And also that we would grow in our affections for you. Would you stir that in us? That's going to come from you, God. And so we plead with you that it, that it would, would happen. And God, I know that there are people in the room this morning who, are, who now have someone in mind who they want to be praying for, who they're... They're in anguish and sorrow over the fact that they don't know Jesus. And would that name be then seared into the hearts and minds of these people, myself included, that we would be laboring in prayer, that they would come to know you. God, would you work in us in that way? Help us to commit to prayer. Help us to know that you are the only God of salvation and that you do save. If there are people in the room this morning who do not yet know you, I pray that you would be at work uh, helping them to see that they they desire now a relationship with you. That's going to come from you. Would you do that work? You are the only God of salvation. Drawing us to yourself so that we would worship. Help us to do that, we pray. And God, I'll, I'll end my prayer to you here. Would you save?